Welcome to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University. I'm your host, Ian, and along with the staff and students at Belgorod State University, I have taken it on myself to try to explain why Russia's roads have become a thing. Back in the UK, I was unable to avoid driving, a staid and steady experience on the crowded and well-maintained British road network. I didn't mind driving, and in 12 years, I was involved in only two minor fender benders that resulted in negligible damage and no insurance claims. I broke the speed limit once when I took a wrong turn into a village on a dark night, assuming it to be a dual carriageway. I realised only after the flash of a speed camera alerted me. And that's it, not much to tell. So when I chose to return to Russia for work, a friend of mine warned me in an ominous tone to stay off the roads. He then showed me video footage of crazy Russian drivers. These videos appeared to be extremely popular, a dark mirror of the internet obsession with cute animals. I didn't need to watch a second video, that's not my bag at all. Taxis here are cheap, convenient and plentiful. The average fare is about three bucks or two pounds. One time I remember asking my driver about how many accidents he had had in his five years of taxi driving. And his answer, what? The ones that I caused resulted in me closing my eyes for the rest of the journey. The president must have heard my silent prayers because the year that I arrived here, the government took note of my presence and initiated a public and well-funded campaign designed to improve road safety. It was and remains a genuine and broadly successful attempt to reduce fatalities on Russia's roads. The effect of that program is really being felt here in Belgorod. We have a shiny new bypass, which is the main route from Moscow to Kharkov, Ukraine's second city. At the moment, there is less traffic than was expected when it was planned. But here's hoping that it will be busier in the future. The plan called for pedestrian zones in cities with boulevards for car-free perambulations, and we have had two of them built since my arrival. Mass transport systems were to be overhauled, and my home city now boasts bus lanes complete with new electric buses. Subsidies have kept prices very reasonable. Journeys anywhere in the city cost around 30 cents US or 20p for us Brits. The buses are cleaned daily and are no longer overcrowded as there are more of them. I used to allow an hour for my commute. Now the journey time has been halved, leaving me time to indulge my coffee addiction at the end of my ride more often than not. The statistics tell their own story. In 2016, there were more than 20,000 deaths on the road in a country with a population of 143 million. Of the largest countries, only China and India were worse. And Russia was on a par with Bangladesh. No offence to the good citizens of Bangladesh, but that was not a comparison the Russian government were keen to trumpet. In real terms, that means there were nearly 16 deaths per 100,000 people that year. In the US, that figure was around 10, and in the UK, two and a half. In 2019, the last year for which we have data, Russia reported a figure of 11.5, while fatalities in the US rose to 12 and 3 per 100,000 in the UK, which continues its reign as the safest of the large countries to drive in. According to the WHO, road deaths peaked in Russia around the year 2000 and have been dropping ever since. There are many reasons for this. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, it became nearly impossible to pay salaries to police officers of any stripe. Corruption was a matter of survival. Being stopped by the traffic police meant a fine for any or no reason. It was regarded as part of the cost of motoring. Add to this a rise in poverty and its associated vices, particularly alcoholism, and the situation worsened. But that wasn't all. The infrastructure was crumbling and the appearance of potholes and cracks in the road surface 
surface could break the wheels of even the most careful drivers. Blocked drains and poor maintenance caused aquaplaning or skids on ice. Russia's weather is famously extreme, and this demands near constant repair and renewal at the best of times. In the 90s, a time when budgets were restrictive or non-existent, this was relegated way down the list of priorities. It is still an issue now. Listeners may remember our episode with Taras Kte and the story of his start in public service. His political career started when he tried to have the authorities fill in a pothole outside his house. It was so large, pedestrians had to negotiate it. This is the only inspirational pothole I've ever heard of. But the roads weren't just crumbling. The rules of the road, the traffic lights and pedestrian crossings were also inadequate, thought up as they were in the 1960s, a time with much less traffic and slower and noisier vehicles. A poorly designed and degrading road system coupled with corrupt and inefficient enforcement policies meant that travelling the highways and byways of post-Soviet Russia required the heroic spirit of a fighter pilot, the dogged determination of an early polar explorer, and pockets deep enough to pay fines and repair your vehicle. Putin's team stopped the rot. His government's plan to invest in infrastructure and stabilise the economy had many fringe benefits. Police salaries became respectable, and so did the police. Private companies prospered, and their taxes helped pay for reconstruction. Reduction in poverty curbed alcoholism. In short, the trend was reversed. It is all good news for citizens, but bad news for traffic cops. They're so good now that they are having to change career. We just don't need them like we used to. So why all these videos? Well, Russian law states that someone is always at fault in an incident on the road. In effect, there are no accidents unless you can prove the incident was unavoidable. If your tyre bursts due to debris on the road, the view is that it didn't fly there on its own. Even a fallen tree has someone responsible attached to it and it is an investigator's job to find out who has liability. In order to avoid prosecution or blame, drivers began attaching cameras to their dashboards. These videos are a byproduct. Some insurance companies insist on them, but actually they rarely prove anything. Only trained investigators can determine the cause of an incident. It is illegal to remove a damaged car from the road without permission from the traffic police, so it is still a common sight all over Russia to see the drivers of vehicles milling about the scene of an accident, sometimes for hours, on account of the most minor collisions. Not pleasant when the weather is inclement. Our guest, Anton Pershing, is the region's most senior investigator and he only looks into accidents that result in injury or death, rather him than me. Despite his work, he is a really positive and happy guy. We met through his love of English, which is an unusual hobby for a policeman. I know he will listen to this, so don't worry, Tony, your English is good. I'm proud to call him a friend, but I have never spoken to him about his work, so I was as curious as anybody to hear this interview. His chat with Daniil is a big deal, as law enforcement officers in Russia almost never give personal interviews, and I am very grateful to him for sitting down with us. Colonel Pershing started off by summing up his choice of career and his stellar record in one concise and very modest sentence. You're listening to Understanding Russia. It was almost a no-brainer. I graduated from law school and after that, I didn't think much about it. I always wanted to be somewhere within the justice system, an investigator, a judge or a prosecutor. I went into the investigation department and stayed there. Are you originally from Belgrade? Yes, I was born here. Do your parents have anything to do with law enforcement? No, only me. Uh-huh. How many years have you been a police officer? Since 2002. I graduated from Belgorod Law Institute in 2002. Since then, I've been working as a police officer. And how old are you now? I was born in 1980, so now I'm 40. As I understand it, you're not directly involved in the coffee and donut street cop kind of work. So, what is it that you actually do? Yes, it's not the kind of police work you imagine when you watch TV. No, stakeout 
blackouts, no fights, no shooting. That's not my job. My job is to investigate criminal cases that involve traffic accidents. In our country, there is criminal liability for traffic violations that have serious consequences, meaning people die in these accidents or sustain serious injuries. How often do you investigate fatalities? Well, it depends on road conditions, on the weather. For example, it is the beginning of autumn now. In our jargon, we say it's pedestrian season. If you're coming back home from work at 7 p.m. in summer, it's not dark. But when you drive home in November at the same time, it will be dark and icy. You'll feel exhausted because you haven't seen the sun since 4 p.m. You'll be distracted from the road. This is the time when pedestrian collisions are most common. Someone didn't see someone, someone recklessly reversed, someone didn't see the car. It's my busy season. Is Belgrade safe? I don't want to bore you with the statistics. Uh, you can look it up on the internet. Let me tell you about it from my experience. When I started working, it was a completely different city, with different traffic lights, completely different streets. Now the traffic is organized much better. There are many more traffic lights, pedestrian crossings and roads. The regulations for cars are different than they were in the late 90s and early 2000s. It has become much safer for both pedestrians and drivers. It's much safer on the roads now. The name for Russian law enforcement was changed from the Soviet era to the more universal Polizia on the March 1st, 2011. How did you or your fellow officers feel about this? For us, it was just an ordinary reform which did not make our work any worse or better. There was significant change in material provision, our equipment and accessories, but not in the content of the work. The traffic lights were still red, yellow, green, and the traffic rules changed only slightly. How are the things going with the trendy demand for gender equality at your workplace? How many women are there in your department? There are a few female officers. They work alongside their male colleagues without any issues. Can you handle a gun? Yes, we have regular firearms shooting training. Do you have any hobbies? I know that you have an Instagram account. I try to be active, so I try to learn a new sport from time to time. I don't do any sports at elite level, but I run regularly, go to the gym, play tennis, swim, and ride a wakeboard. Wakeboarding is a water sport in which the rider standing on a wakeboard is towed behind the motorboat across its wake, and you use the crest to perform aerial maneuvers. You have a picture there of you in a hot air balloon. How did you get in there in the first place? Where do you fly? A friend of mine gave someone this hot air balloon flight as a gift. I was just curious about it, so I decided to give it a try. I don't know if it's a sport, but we have a hot air balloon federation. I flew over Belgorod and I was happy about it. It's amazing. If you do it too regularly, you might get bored. It's like anything else. But when you fly for the first time, you look at the sunset and different parts of the town. It's a bit scary because your fate doesn't depend on your physical or mental abilities, you, you know. It only depends on the wind. If there's no wind, the pilot starts to get nervous. You start to freak out too. However, in general, it was a great experience. Have you ever been skydiving? That question is linked to the previous one. <laughs> uh, there was a time when all my childhood friends were skydiving. Uh, when I was going to go with them, my dad warned me that as soon as I had done it, they would put me on a list that said I could do it and I would be drafted into the army by the airborne troops, where at the time my dad told me there was a 1% mortality rate. All right, I mean, it's a risk, but that stopped me back then. I didn't want to skydive in the army all the time. I still don't see the point of skydiving. So you're not the kind of person who would compensate for his lack of adrenaline with some dangerous hobbies? 
Yes, I get enough adrenaline at work. We have a common cliché about the traffic ticket quota system, forced labor, and the specific relationship between the police and accountability. I have to say that in my job there are statistics. Uh, we would not know how well we worked if it wasn't for the statistics. They're a feature in any school or hospital. Our department is no exception. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Could you please comment on that? You came to our studio in a car. Have you been in an accident yourself? I haven't had any severe accidents. Thank God. Thank God indeed. There was one time, though, when I got my first car, I went for a little test drive. It was raining. I didn't have enough driving experience. More than that, I was going uphill. There was clay or sand on the road, and I almost lost complete control. I flew off the road and crashed my car. It happened three days after I bought the car. I make sure not to drive fast as a result of that. Was it in Belgorod state? Yes. Did you ever drive past that part of the road and reminisce about all the good lessons that it taught you? <laughs> Your personal part of the road. <laughs> that, that particular spot has been rebuilt, but yes, I remember it all right. My relatives and friends would say that too. I used to remember every intersection, every stretch of road by the names of the people who were involved in the accident there, especially if they were interesting cases. Can you name the places in Belgorod where car accidents happen all the time? You know, I used to be able to name all the intersections and streets. Now we have reorganized the traffic on some sections of the road, installed traffic lights and road markings. Everything is different now. It used to be a slightly different city. We used to have favorite intersections. Now that is no longer the case. Now any citizen can easily write an application or petition the relevant authorities to put in a speed bump or introduce a new speed limit. In your work? You mostly have to deal with car drivers, but there are two other breeds of driver, motorcyclists and truck drivers. Have you had any unusual encounters with them? Because, as you know, there are whole heaps of funny videos on the internet about them. My job is related to traffic accidents that happen in the city of Belgorod. Those people you're talking about, the truckers and the motorcyclists, mostly avoid the city on bypasses, on highways. When I started working, everyone used to come through the city. Now the traffic's organized differently. The truckers have to go around the city, so I haven't met any for a long time. And you don't miss them? I don't. They've moved away from the center. I don't meet them often. And motorcyclists? How's the street racing culture in Belgorod? Have they moved to the outskirts too? Let us go back to your Instagram. It was a temporary phenomenon. I haven't heard anything about it in a long time. I haven't had any accidents related to street racing in my experience. Are there any restrictions for police officers on subscriptions, any service arrangements? Do you have any censorship? I've not experienced any censorship. There's nothing to censor. I have tourist-type photos and pictures of sports or leisure activities on my page. If I had any interests that were at odds with the culture of the authorities or did not fit in with the image of a police officer, someone from the management would immediately remind me that I have a badge and I should follow the rules. TV or internet? What do you prefer? I haven't watched TV for a few years now. I use the internet, yeah. I think that not many people watch TV now. I'm more of a book and internet guy. Are you reading anything now? Right now I'm reading Heaven Has No Favorites. If I read, it's only on the advice of friends or books you need to know, Dostoevsky or Chekhov. But in general, I read more books with an orthodox Christian theme or my own criminal case files. Fascinating variability you got there. Yes, I've also been learning English. I don't really have time to read. I, I need to do my English homework. What about COVID? Has it affected your work in any way? People are staying home more, right? Are there any statistical changes? 
Well, you probably remember the period when we first faced this lockdown situation. The city sort of fell into a deep sleep. The traffic stopped. Uh, not only were there no cars, but there were also no people on the streets. So, you know, I felt relaxed, really relaxed for a while. However, although there were no traffic accidents, I had criminal cases to solve, and that's why we were not short of work. I mean, it takes a lot of time to get a traffic accident from the point of its occurrence to the court verdict. And although there were no new traffic accidents and crime scenes, the criminal prosecution of previous incidents had to carry on anyway. Uh, we, of course, never stayed at home and kept working through the quarantine. Did you switch to remote working? No, that's impossible. Don't you have any special scheme or schedule? God forbid, but if one day you get involved in a traffic accident, you will understand that it's simply impossible to reach any settlement without a detective. And there will never be remote work for us, it's just not us. So, when people from your department talk about paperwork, they really mean hard copy documents, like stapled and tied up in folders, don't they? There's no alternative so far. Yes, criminal files are real folders. Some stuff is done electronically, of course, but nothing works without paperwork and criminal files in the literal sense of the word. What about learning English and going to language schools? Or are you talking online courses? No, I go to an English language school and take live lessons. Do you have enough time for it? Are you taking lessons in the evening? Yes, in the evening or during lunchtime. Sometimes I have classes before work. Do you ever get tired? Absolutely not. It's kind of change of pace. Does it help you get through professional burnout? Well, have you ever experienced it? Yes. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Like you said, you're a religious man mm-hmm. I am. and attached to the church. Yeah, there's no problem with that. I always go to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> as far as I understand, your family shares your views. How do you spend your leisure time? Do you have a favorite musical group? Not really. All my leisure is about playing sports and studying English. Learning a language requires a lot of time and effort. I learn English for myself, not to boast about it. My work doesn't require knowledge of English, but learning it helps me develop intellectually. And it's useful when I travel. That's why I try to somehow diversify my lessons. I don't stick to lessons in one particular school, and I change teachers from time to time. In some sense, I'm drawing English towards myself because there are a few tourist attractions in our region and not many people with whom you can practice English. So I have to look for different teachers. I think the more of them, the better my communication skills. And since I don't have much free time, I don't watch TV. As for reading, I do read books sometimes, but only after all my work and English homework is done. What's your current level of English? Can you understand everything you read without a dictionary? Well, yes. To be honest, I started learning English not to read books, but to be able to talk to people in English. I think my knowledge of English is poor, but my teachers keep telling me that it's not that bad. So we can do this in English as well, but but I think that I don't know English well enough. I used to think that I had a pretty decent level of English, but since I started working for a native speaker, I have realized that his opinion is different. So, could you describe your first supervisor? Did you have any mentors when you first joined the police force? At the dawn of my career as an officer, when I first came to my department, everyone was experienced and knowledgeable, and there were hardly any young people like me. That's why I didn't have a particular supervisor who would mentor me and teach me things. I had to learn from everyone. You know, it's fascinating to see that people are different, and they solve problems in different ways. Everyone has their own style of work. It is an individual trait of every person. I constantly watched and learned, and all I've learned helped me to become head of my own department. 
How long has it been since you joined the force? And how did you become head of the department? Oh, I can't remember the exact date. You know, there was a big restructuring. Well, obviously, it could be a drastic change for one person, but a small one for another. The thing is that there were significantly more accidents back then, and their number decreased gradually. The staff at our department shrank and shrank. Do you have to perform any additional tasks while prosecuting criminal cases? I mean, cooperating with other departments, for example, with the drug enforcement unit. Does that really happen, or does it only exist in films? Uh, Does anyone come from Moscow and say, "Okay, we'll handle this case from now on? No, that's not the case. It's all in American movies. We have a clear allocation of tasks, and our job is to perform them. Speaking of movies, do you have a favorite one? I can't name a movie off the top of my head. I like Leonardo DiCaprio's movies. For example, Catch Me If You Can. Its plot is sort of connected to my job, isn't it? Yes. Well, I really like that one. I hope you'll never have to go through a situation like this one in the final scene. And what about movies that you dislike? We have already touched on the fact that the media, especially movies, contain many stereotypes about your work and the work of law enforcement agencies in general. And that's also true about the layman perception of your occupation. Is there a movie that you loathe specifically because of its biased portrayal of your job? Maybe a TV series or something propagandistic like Bandit Petersburg. You know, I don't watch Russian cop movies or TV shows. At a certain point, I stop watching them because it's not interesting for me to watch amateurish stuff that barely reflects the truth. I'm just not into watching cop movies. I guess it would be just the same if a doctor watched some kind of fictional film about his work. I don't really like stuff like that. I don't like movies with silly plots in general. I call them dumb movies. They convey no message. I can't stand silly action movies. I really hate them. I mean, there's no educational value in most American action comedies, and you'll just waste your time watching them. Does it mean that you opt for the content rather than the form? Well, I guess so. If I had to choose something with no content, I'd prefer science fiction, or at least something that would be of some use in the future or the present, something that would give you food for thought, something to discuss later with friends. Or an interesting plot, a unique life situation, instead of just smashing someone's face into a cake. It's not my thing at all. And I don't enjoy horror movies either. I have enough excitement in my life. There's no need for any additional scary stories. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Yeah, when I'm done working and studying in in my free time. That means very rarely. (laughs) Well, I really try, but you see, my time is devoted first to my family, work, education, and only then to my friends. We actually don't often have barbecues, but go out for a coffee in the evening. Sometimes we may have some wine in a restaurant, but that's it. I don't like hard drinking. And that was my next question. About spirits? Yes! Almost every Russian guest at our studio gets asked about his or her attitude to drinking alcohol. I'm an ordinary person. Some people like drinking spirits and having rowdy parties, some don't. As for me, I prefer calm evenings when my friends and I discuss interesting topics and share a bottle of dry white wine. That's my thing. I certainly don't mind the other stuff like parties and drinks, but I don't usually feel like getting involved. The final question is about holidays. What is your favorite Russian holiday or favorite Russian tradition? Anything like eating Russian olive salad on New Year and watching The Irony of Fate or enjoy your bath? You know, my attitude towards holidays has changed quite a bit now. Is it because you're usually very busy with work after holidays? Sure, but that's not the main reason. Holidays used to be very special before, because apart from holidays, there were no other celebrations. 
I mean, Russians used to have only New Year, birthdays, weddings, and, well, May Day. You could count these holidays on one hand, but these days you can throw a party and have a celebration every day. For example, when you passed an exam, received your scholarship or salary, or simply when you're in a good mood or meet an old friend. It's become much more common now. That's why holidays have become a bit less treasured. As for Russian customs, I enjoy eating blini on maslenitsa. By the way, as far as I can see, you keep fasting even when you are at work, even in tough and busy environments, don't you? Yeah, I try to. Have you ever given up because of stress? No, well, policemen are human too. If anything happens that you can't handle alone, other officers won't hesitate to help you. But I have never been so stressed that I had to, for example, drink some vodka or eat some meat. That's never happened. I've never broken my fast. You have a daughter, don't you? Yes. Were you working when she was born, or did you manage to be there? <laughs> Luckily, there was no patrolling for me on the 31st of July. <laughs> Would you ever want to talk to your foreign colleagues, for example, with police officers from the US, UK, Germany and other countries? Actually, when I travelled abroad, I met some British police officers. The situation was quite amusing. There were direct flights between England, Southampton and Russia. The beach at the place I visited was split in half. One half was Russian and the other was English. I, as peculiar as I always am, went to the English side every morning and spent all day there. I didn't talk to Russians much. I always do that when I travel abroad. I don't communicate in Russian. Did you joke about the Iron Curtain? No, nobody brings up such topics. Some Sometimes I told people about countries that I'm not allowed to visit. And that was one of the common subjects. How many countries have you already visited? I've been to a lot of places. Uh, England, the Arab Emirates, Slovakia, Vietnam, Thailand, China, Mexico, Cuba, Hungary. Have you been to any countries of the Commonwealth of Independent States? Ukraine, Belarus. There was this fascinating moment. I talked to a policeman in England when we began talking about our work and stuff related to it. You know, it turned out that my life as a policeman in Russia is just the same as that of my British colleague. I mean, the way people treat cops has changed in the same way over time. One of them, a retired officer, once complained to me that there's less respect for police officers now. We face similar problems. We share the same thoughts and attitudes towards our lives and career. We have the same values, and we are in fact similar. I was very much amazed. I met a policeman from Canada in Cuba, but he was slightly different. He came there with his whole platoon, and he wasn't a detective, but a field officer, a real cop. He was a little different from me. He had a slightly different job, and he looked completely different. Everything was different. To sum up, officers from different countries are not enemies and you understand each other very well. That's wonderful. Thank you, Anton Vitalievich, for such an interesting conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Understanding Russia. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us via our website at urpod.net, where you can find all our social media links, or via email, understandingrussia at gmail.com. We will be very happy to hear from you. You have been listening to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University.